0: At exactly 7.14 a.m., on June the 30th, 1908, an asteroid 100 meters in diameter entered the Earth's atmosphere and exploded with the force of a 12-megaton bomb. A column of fire rose 20 kilometers in the sky. As hot and as bright as the sun, the entire forest below was incinerated and blown flat. The shockwave circumnavigated the Earth twice. Now we have our friend 6748, When it hits, the 1,000-megaton blast will raise an impenetrable cloud of dust that will obliterate the sun for 20 years or more. The temperature on Earth will fall below freezing and stay there. The air will be filled with dirt and toxins. Within a short time, all plant, animal, and human life will be
1: gone. Hi, I'm Rachel.
2: And I'm Matt.
1: And this is Come in, 81 Kilo,
2: a Forever Night podcast.
1: back friends welcome back it's time for another episode one of our last season two episodes season two episode 25 a more permanent hell or as i personally think of it the asteroid episode (laughs) this felt like something that was so much in the zeitgeist at the time because we had deep impact armageddon It really feels like the, it's like the climate collapse movies of the 2012s. And everyone was like, oh, climate collapse, the 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 day after tomorrow, blah, blah, blah.
2: And the whole like Mayan end of the world 2012 stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was just a really funny, I don't know, for just a brief period of time there, we were all like, shit, we could die if an asteroid hit us. Then we're like, let's make some movies about it. And apparently somebody said, let's write a television show episode about it. I mean, yeah. wow. This is ambitious, okay? The the Yet scale of the to freakout. do
2: a like world-changing event. Yeah. in in a like sh- a format where at the end of the episode, you're supposed to have the same kind of conditions in the total world <laughs> yes. as the beginning of the episode.
1: Of course. Um
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, they're like, "Oh, you know, he stands to make millions when the when the markets go back up." You mean years from now when the markets recover?
2: In the countries that still exist?
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, but we're going to get there. We're so going to get there. But we have to start at the beginning, which is oh, the yeah. setup. Okay. The the very ambitious setup for what turns out to be a very ambitious episode. Because we start out at this observatory and there's three people, and the one lady is just typing furiously, and it like boop, boop, like the whatever program they ran ran. And they're like, Dr. Carter, please, you know, we've already run it, we've been running it for three days, and she's like, Nuh-uh. no. She throws like a baby tantrum. She's like, no, and pushes the one lady off like, no, I'm going to run it again. And you're like, oh, no, something terrible is happening. The scientist has lost her ever loving mind. And so they leave because she's like, no, I'm going to run it again. And so they go out. And so they're,
2: they're kind of like, okay, well, we're, right, we're going to go home and get some sleep or whatever. Well, they go
1: stand outside the door for a convenient length of time. And the guy's like, oh, maybe I should start smoking cigarettes. And she's like, well, you don't smoke. What are you going to smoke cigarettes for? And he's like, it's not like it matters now. We just get allusions to impending doom. And the guy, the male character here, whose name, I'm sorry, I just don't know, Um In the show, he is actually like a really prolific actor. He's been in a bunch of stuff. Anytime there's a you need an like really high cheekbone, hollow cheek man to be in something, they're like, I know the guy. It's that guy. This is one of his first things, but he's been in a ton of stuff. Um, they hear a gunshot while they're standing outside, and they're both like, "Oh snap!" And so they turn around to run back in, and Doctor Carter has. 1996 herself. <laughs> She's killed herself. <laughs> it's been a while since we've used suicide as the main driving force. Yeah. But and- so there you go. That's kind of our setup. But we don't go to the intro yet because we we hop forward in time a little bit. And here's Knight and Skanky talking. And Skanky's like, you know, my cousin Arthur is a stockbroker. It take, And Nick goes, it takes money to make money, Skanky.
0: Nick, my cousin Arthur is also my stockbroker. He'll help you get your feet wet. It takes money to make money, Skanky. You got the cash, invest it. You're not gonna be young forever, Knight. Holy moly, check out this eyepiece.
1: And Skanky goes, You've got the cash, you need to invest it. You're not gonna be young forever. And it gives him a look like, huh. I might be. I don't know.
2: <laughs> you don't know me. You don't
1: know me. Uh maybe you know me. I don't know. I don't know how much you know. You know, you think you know me. And then we kind of, you know, we, we actually segue into the crime because they're like, you know, what, what's going on here? And Nick's like, OK, well, we know the who and we know the how, but we don't know the why. Like, why did she do this? Is this a homicide? Do we need to be here? And they kind of gesture over because all the, the two people that were standing outside are kind of standing over by the instrument panel or whatever. And this is the fellow staff at the observatory. And they walk over there, and they're basically like, "Okay, we're gonna ask you some questions, and you need to tell us the truth, and don't lie, because if you lie, we're gonna figure it out, and it's gonna look bad. So just tell us the truth." And they're like, "Uh, "Okay, well, she she killed herself. Like, we were standing outside, we heard the gunshot, she died. I don't know what else to tell you." And he's like, "Okay, but like, why? Like, there's no suicide note nearby. Come on, can you can you tell us what's going on?" And the guy's like, "Okay." Well, you can't tell you have to promise you're not going to tell anybody. And Skanky actually says, I can't tell you. I can't make that kind of a promise until I know what it is you're going to tell me. Right. Instead of being like, yeah, yeah, sure. Whatever.
2: Yeah. The, the guy's like, you need to swear to secrecy on this information. You cannot tell anyone at all ever. And Skanky's like, I can't do that. And the guy's like, oh, OK, I'll tell you anyway. Yeah,
1: it's fine. Well, here you go. So it's like, oh, no, there is an asteroid number 6748. And it's going to crash into Earth within the next three months. And Natalie, who is, of course, conveniently standing there, is like, Don't these things usually burn up in the atmosphere? And this guy's like, Yeah, but it, this one is five miles wide. It's bigger than the one that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs.
2: So, big deal.
1: So, big, it's a big fucking deal because it's a big fucking asteroid. And they're like, Okay, but up, but up. We got immediately into the intro. Um, Okay, well, I just want to address the idea of the fact that for some reason, all of the vampires are operating under the assumption that they will survive. First, we don't talk about where it's going to hit. Right. But we know that the asteroid that hit the Earth and destroyed the dinosaurs actually hit the Earth at such a high velocity it displaced the atmosphere around it and instantly incinerated Everything immediately beneath it.
2: Yeah, it compressed the air so much that the air superheated. Yeah, and flash burned. Yes. Yeah, flash everything.
1: incinerated. I'm pretty sure fire bad. We've had several episodes about well, how if you're fire on bad. the
2: other side of the planet, you could survive the initial impact.
1: Yeah, but and then they're like, okay, well, there's going to be winter. But that's cool. We don't really care when it's cold. But if you don't generate your own body heat and you don't have blood to replace the blood, because we know vampires only have the blood <laughs> that they drink. Will you freeze solid at a certain that, yeah, lo- like that, low enough temperature? Will that's you a good freeze question.
2: Solid? Would you freeze solid?
1: Like the zombies in World War Z? And then would you have to wait for the... And then they all thaw and they wake up like, whew, okay, well, that was all right. Could you use freezing solid as a way of surviving? Because they're concerned that they might starve to death.
2: Mm. Go into like hibernation yeah. by freezing solid? Yeah. Like stasis?
1: Like stasis. Mm. Like in that movie. What's that movie with... Um, yeah, it's called Iceman. And it's got Timothy Hutton in it. It's a 1984 movie. And they find this guy frozen in the ice. And for some reason, he is capable of being frozen and thawed and then coming back. Like those frogs that do that. And so he froze like during the ice age, like tens of thousands of years like ago. Like Encino Man? Like Encino Man. Yeah, but serious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Not, okay. not okay. Brendan not, Fraser. Not a Poly Shore not, not comedy. Not a Poly Shore okay. Brendan Fraser comedy. Yeah, more of a Timothy Hutton in exploration of what it would be like to wake up 10,000 years after you fell asleep and everything has changed and your family's all dead. Okay. I don't know. It's just interesting because we just take as rote that the vampires are going to probably survive. Right. Somehow. Even though we know they can starve to death. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just a, it's a, a really weird thing to just be like, okay, well, yeah, we're all going to make it and y'all are going to die.
2: Right. The, they're not like super concerned about starving to death, even though they have to drink like a lot of blood regularly.
1: Yeah. I don't Although
2: know. Nick went cold turkey on the blood. And lasted, what, like a week? And he felt really good.
1: Yeah, but then Natalie gave him a transfusion because she said he was starving, starving to death.
2: Even though he he was enjoying yeah, himself? Fine. You know
1: what? <laughs> we are going, you know, we're just going to table the discussion about the scientific backing of this episode. Okay? I think that's probably a good place to start. Okay. Or we're never that's gonna usually make it where our
2: best material comes from. Oh, you're going <laughs> to
1: harp on it again. I know. I'm just tabling it. For now. Gotcha. Got, okay. Because we come back and Cohen is talking to a guy who we don't introduce, but she's like, tell me, Forbes. Is this, are they right? Is their data right? And the guy's like, oh, I mean, I don't know. It'd, it'd literally be like opening a computer program in front of Matt and being like, does this code look good to you? Yeah. Like, I, I, I yeah. don't know. I haven't sat down and looked at it. I haven't gone right. through their methodology. How much code, I it depends on
2: depends on what, like, algorithms you're using yeah like for so in this case what you what you would end up doing is you'd say oh there's an asteroid we've seen it now we're going to get some really accurate information about its position velocity i guess position speed and direction of movement yeah and And then we have a lot of information about where all the planets and moons and all that stuff are. And then you put those in as the initial conditions of a numerical simulation and calculate where this thing would continue moving, how much it would be affected by the gravity of all these other things around it. And then you'd be running this numerical simulation of all the gravitational stuff. And then you'd see oh its path intersects the earth well how close does it get yeah and so then you zoom in and you um, make the time slices on the numerical simulation smaller so they get more accurate and you can see like more precisely more um, accurately where where the asteroid is actually going to be and then it's like oh okay it's gonna hit here, but then you have like margin of error. Yeah. So
1: within three months, that's a margin of error. Well,
2: no, that's <laughs> that's that's the time frame. The margin of error is no. in in the in your simulation. Uh-huh. Every time you're doing a like time slice calculation of the movement,
1: it's plus or uh, minus a certain amount. Yeah, yeah.
2: You have some. You're always balancing the accuracy of the simulation versus how long it takes to run the simulation. I don't see a whole lot of computers here. So they would, to get a, they wouldn't be running it on this, <laughs> on this computer. They would, they would go to like, I think Cray had the world's yeah. biggest well, supercomputer I'm going to get, I'm going to get there. Anyway.
1: I'm going to get there because the, we're talking to this Forbes guy. Cohen's like, yeah. give it to me straight. Is this this right? And he's like, well, I mean, I I don't know. Like, initially, yes, it appears based on what I can see that they're correct. And I have a high level of confidence in Dr. Carter and her team. So I don't have any initial reason to just dismiss this. But this is something that, like, we're going to send it to JPL. We're going to send it to York University. We're going to rerun the data which I feel like is the methodology Dr. Carter would have been using all along because there is absolutely no way a five-mile asteroid has gotten this close and nobody has been tracking it.
2: Mm. It, it could totally happen. Okay. But, it depends on how but, reflective so it is. So
1: here's how I feel like any scientist would naturally pr- proceed would be, oh, I have found this five-mile-wide asteroid that appears to be on an intersection course with Earth. I will send my data out to as many colleagues as possible oh, yeah. and encourage them all to repeat my simulation or start their own, let's see if we all come up with the same findings. Yeah, it, it would be of-
2: like, oh, my initial simulation looks like it's gonna hit the earth or it's, it looks like from my simulation, it's going to pass close to the earth and sh- you would have numbers. Like it's going to pass within... I don't know, 5000 miles of the earth. Yeah. Especially if you're projecting it out months in advance. And then you say, "Okay, like within 5000 miles is, you know, pretty tight. It could actually hit the earth." So then you send your all the measurements you've taken, how you calculated the velocity and the exact direction and all that, and you send it out to different places with probably bigger supercomputers than you have at an observatory yeah and wait for them to reproduce it
1: it really feels like this is the community college observatory yes and they caught it and (laughs) they they ran it through their student simulation and then that got leaked to the news and the whole world fucking fell apart and it was literally like the two-year associate degree students that take this as an enrichment course said that there was an asteroid coming towards the earth yeah um and that's the setup that's the setup for the episode and it's fine i think this episode is interesting in that nick is the only one who keeps a cool head of everyone literally
2: uh cohen keeps a pretty cool head
1: no i i heartily disagree i think cohen completely falls apart yeah So we go to Skanky. They get this news, right? Okay, oh, my God, we're all going to die in the next three months, according to um, the three-hour night course that has eight eight actual, like, lessons throughout the semester, whatever. Anyway, and Skanky's like, oh, my God, are you serious? Like. All, all of this, everything that we've built, all of our progress, it's just going to go away. Like, what kind of God has a, what kind of God has that as their plan? That, that we've come so far and it's all going to go away. And Nick is like, uh, what, what pro- progress? What progress?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. This is part of God's grand plan. Smash humanity into millions of itsy bitsy teeny weeny little pieces. After all the progress we've made, what progress? The Cold War's over? Fiber optic technology? Airbags. Nice try, Skank.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From where I'm sitting, it's all I mean, I've I've literally watched the man in power take advantage of a woman who ultimately turns around and kills herself like four times in this series that doesn't include every single time that's happened. And again, that's what happens here again. Isn't that interesting? And uh, Skanky, I think, walks it back a little bit because he realizes he's talking to an 800-year-old guy who's like, nothing's changed, Skanky. And Skanky's like, okay, well, I mean, we had the Cold War's over, and we developed fiber optic cable, and now we have airbags, not in this particular car, but we do have airbags. And Nick smiles, and he's like, (laughs) Nice, nice play. Like, okay, well done. Like, you walked that back enough for me. And actually, John Kapalos directed this episode. He wrote the code and he directed this episode. And this one's interesting because if we don't, if we kind of uh, squint a little at the somehow vampires are all going to survive this thing. Really, the stakes for Nick are actually the same as everybody for the first time ever. That's a good point. He's always yeah. looking forward to standing in the wreckage untouched while everything around him burns. But in this case, not so much. And yet he is still the only one capable of holding his shit together because Skanky is still going on. Like he walks it back a little bit, but then he's like, I'm, are you serious? All of this is going to be gone? Everything? Just because some wrong, some space trash took a wrong turn at Pluto? <laughs> I mean, this has to be some kind of joke, right? Like, this is a joke. This can't actually be happening. And Nick is just like, hmm. Mm. 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 Yeah. Shit I mean. happens. He's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Shit happens. <laughs> Nick, who of... knows that
2: there is an afterlife.
1: <laughs> well, Nick, who's like, Shit, ha- shit's happened to me. Like, unfair things happen to fair people. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people, and there's no fucking rhyme or reason. And absolutely, yes, a five-mile-wide asteroid could hit the Earth and destroy everything, and that would just be, mm, you know, whatever. The sun could go out, and we wouldn't know for eight minutes. Yeah. So, I mean, Whatever. And they go back to the precinct, and Skanky actually goes and calls Myra. Oh,
2: yeah! He immediately calls Myra. He's just like, "I, I just I want to say, say, say I love you." Love
1: you. Aww. Skanky's no prince, but at least he cares. And everyone's kind of reeling. Cohen is reeling because she walks. He Nick walks into her office, and this is when she's like, "Tell me, Nick, how how do I have a contingency plan when there's when we're all gonna die?" Like. How, how do I plan for that? Do I plan for that? Like, what do I fucking do? She is lost. She's lost this whole episode. And everyone is immediately leaning on Nick. Everyone is asking Nick, like, well, what do I do? And Nick's like, oh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, we we investigate the case. Why is everybody just all of a sudden like, yeah, um, the, the observatory across the road, like the observatory that's two doors down from the subway said that 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 asteroid's going to hit us right
2: the the least plausible part of this story is that everybody is 100% convinced that this is going to happen
1: but and, i mean we had the, a global plague that people were literally dying of like a million plus people died of and half of the people still don't think it existed yeah And you tell me that there was somebody that went, oh, there's an asteroid that's going to hit us. And everybody was like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. I don't believe you. I just don't believe you. But that's okay. That doesn't matter. That's not the setup. That's not the point. The point is how Nick handles it. And the fact that he is capable of and how everyone else handles it. Because how Natalie handles it is a revelation. The fact that she... Okay, we're going to get there. Because... Nick is, Nick is trying to talk to Cohen and Cohen is like looking at a picture and she's, you know, what am I going to do? My whole family's going to die. I'm going to die. And Nick is like, hold on. I don't think we have the whole story here. She didn't leave a note. She didn't call and say goodbye to her family. If she killed herself because this asteroid is going to hit us, certainly she would have said goodbye. She would have made some kind of preparation. She wouldn't have just shot herself like that. This feels wrong. And Cohen's like, are you telling me you think this is a murder? He's like, I just don't think we have the whole story. And I don't think we have anything to lose if I keep it open for a couple of days. And Cohen's like, fine, you've got two days, but no longer, because I'm going to need you. Like when news of this leaks, I'm going to need you. And then they go to the morgue and Natalie's looking in her microscope. And he's like, did you find anything? And she's like, yeah, hair follicles, but they're hers. And the gunpowder on her hand was was from her gun. And there's a thumb p- print on the trigger, meaning she pulled the trigger with her thumb, which is consistent with a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I'm pretty sure she killed herself. And Nick is like, there's got to be something missing. And Skanky goes, yeah, evidence of a murder.
0: Here, this is all yours. Something's missing.
2: Yeah. Evidence of a murder, perhaps. <laughs> which, to be fair... The lady actually killed herself. Yeah,
1: I mean, she really did do it, but... Uh, was
2: was that the plan of the antagonist? No. No. But, I mean... It, it happened. It happened.
1: And it ends up drawing the police in, and it ends up putting Nick in a position where he ends up saving the world. <laughs> he saves the world with his uh, legendary gut feelings, because he cannot let this his- go. He has a hunch. He has a hunch. But Natalie comes over and she gives them the gun. And Skanky actually kind of walks around and sits down. He's looking in the microscope and he's like, you know, what are we going to, this is going to get out. When it gets out, what are we going to do? And Nick's like, what do you mean when it gets out? And he's like, well, I'm not going to tell anybody, but I mean, other people are going to tell or they're going to talk about it. What are you going to do? Threaten, the, threaten to kill him? If they tell people about the apocalypse, I mean, come on. And and Natalie is like, that's it. Fucking that's it. You got to get up. Go get off. Get out of my room. Get out of my space. I can't have you in here right now. You are harshing my mellow. I just need to chill. I got a lot of work to do. And Skanky actually apologizes. He's like, sorry, Natalie. Like, I didn't mean to upset you. I'm just like, I'm in my feels. You're in your feels. Nick's the only one who's not in his feels. Like, I'm so sorry. And he ends up leaving because Nick is like, he gives him the. He gives him the bro signal that he's going to spend some alone time with Natalie, which is you go ahead, I'll I'll follow you. Just you go around. Yeah, you go around. And so Skanky leaves to go around, and he has a minute with Natalie where he's like, Natalie, he didn't mean to upset you, and she's like, I know, I'm sorry. Like I didn't mean to freak out like that. And he gets really close to her face. He like (laughs) leans in, and this brings me back to where I'm going to make some cocktails up for our live watch of. Uh, season 3, episode 1. And one of my cocktails is definitely going to be uh, Nick's Mixed Signals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> because we just had an episode where he was like, oh, no, I don't love that bitch. I just love what she can do for me.
2: And, and I'll eat her right now. Uh, just I'm just gonna watch. I'm going to do it. Just just fucking do it. Do it. Mm-hmm.
1: And the moment to reassure the audience that he was lying to LaCroix is now. And I don't really think he does a very good job of that. I mean, as the 1996 viewer, you're supposed to be like, oh, it's so cute. He actually does love her, but they can't be together. But as a 2023 viewer, you're like, he was telling the truth. He's just using her because he just leans in. And then he doesn't really get close enough to be intimately close, but he's too close for casual friendship. It's It's a weird invasion of her bubble. Because he's trying to give her a little bit of a pep talk, and she goes, like, I love your optimism. Because he's like, we're going to be fine. You just need to calm down. This is all, everyone's already blown this out of proportion. You should, you, of all people, should not blow this out of proportion. And she's like, oh, God, you're such an optimist. And he's like, well, let's hope that spreads. Let's let's hope that that's more infectious than anything else. And then we cut to the observatory, and uh uh-oh, there's a beat cop there. And he's making a phone call to break the news. You'll never
2: guess what I heard at work today.
1: Bump, bump, bump. And then we see Nick in his apartment with the vest.
2: (laughs) No, this is a button-up shirt that has had the sleeves removed. (laughs) What the
1: fuck is this? Because it goes all the way up. It does not have a collar. He does not have the collar of his own shirt outside of it. It is just over the top of his button-up shirt collar thing. And it's like, I don't know what this is. This is a choice. That's what this (laughs) is. This is a choice. And he wears it like the remainder of the episode. He was basically like, well, this is my double-vested protection vest, so I can't remove it. And he's watching. <laughs>
2: he has another vest on underneath. It. Yes, <laughs> this is his safety vest. Look,
1: it's like those thunder vests you get for dogs. You know that they're like weighted and they squeeze the dog to help them get through a thunderstorm.
2: Oh yeah, there's there's other stuff that like it's like extra tight.
1: Yeah, like so a like, weighted blanket. It's yeah. like a weighted blanket, but it's to it help them stay calm. Okay, that's that's.
2: <laughs> the, that's why. He keeps a cool head. Right. Because he has a vest that's like weighted and it's giving him a hug, like squeezing yeah, him a
1: little. Exactly.
2: He's he's being comforted.
1: What if Nick's love language is language is physical touch, but here he is unable to really touch anybody? <laughs> the poor dude, of course he wears so many layers of clothing. It's like being held. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be cuddled by people, but I can be cuddled by this giant ass coat. <laughs> so I'll go wear it. His anti...
2: (laughs) That's his uh, anti-anxiety treatment.
1: Yeah, exactly. That Maybe Natalie prescribed that. She was like, have you tried vests? And he was like, vests? And she's like, yeah, vests.
2: It's like getting a hug.
1: (laughs) It's like having... Oh, I love hugs. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a turtleneck is being choked by a really weak person all day long. That's exactly how it feels to me. But anyway, he's watching TV and he's watching a Daniel from JPL. This is the... Propulsion Lab, Jet Propulsion Lab, and he's like, "Look, we're reviewing the data, but we don't have any." Con- he's basically just like, "Guys, we'll we just
2: got the data. We just got
1: this? Would you fucking hold it's, on?
2: It's gonna take like days to run a full." Simulation with yeah. enough accuracy to say whether or not it's going to hit the earth.
1: right? And true to the news being the news, they're like, "Okay, expert, God, that's that's boring." Look, guys, look, guys, looting, rioting, panic, confusion in the streets. <laughs> people are rioting. Literally,
2: the entire world the falls entire apart.
1: World. Everything's
2: on fire. Shit's people on fire. are people just are killing dying. people. People are committing suicide. People are
1: yeah. Cars are on fire. There's burn (laughs) barrels in the middle of the street. Shit's shit's fucked up, okay? Like, it's immediately a mess. Nobody is like, oh, no, I call bullshit. Everyone's like, oh, my God, we're going to die. And then we just proceed from there. And it is wild. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) just Just spending a few minutes imagining the worldwide impact.
1: Is yeah. Countries oh, collapse. Wow. Uh, shipping collapses. Supply lines collapse. The stock market collapses. Real estate collapses. Securities collapse. Currency markets collapse. Everything collapses. The world fucking ends. And then one cop in Toronto is like, oh, I figured it out. And everyone's like, whoo! Oh, thank God. Dodge that bullet. Okay, but we're not there yet. In fact, the 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 person on the news, the newscaster, is literally like, this is so terrible. It's happening everywhere. I couldn't even tell you specifically where this is happening because this footage could be from anywhere, because this is what the whole world looks like right now. And Nick is just sitting there like sipping his water, sipping his his ribena, his blood, sipping his blood, watching the news in his vest, like, hmm. That sucks. <laughs> and then Natalie calls. And Natalie calls him in. She's like, I need you to get down here, and I need you to get down here right now. Are you watching the news? And he's like, yeah. I was about to switch to the Nightcrawler, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes down to the morgue, and uh, while we're waiting for him to arrive, Natalie walks over to a body, and she, like, flips the sheet back and pulls the head to the side so that we can see that this guy was killed by a vampire. Uh-oh. Yep. And then we have another Nick's mix signals moment because as soon as he comes, they like cuddle over this body. Like she <laughs> leans over the body and he leans over the body like really close to her. And he ends up like leaning his cheek against the side of her head. And he's like, you're exhausted. You should go home. You need to get some rest. And she's like, I can't. Half the shift didn't come in today. It's just me here. These bodies are just rolling in. There's literally bodies everywhere. Like, the freezer is full. There's just gurneys covered. And she says they're stacked up like firewood. And she says she's gotten six vampire victims already. And there's been so many homicides and suicides, she's pretty sure she can hide that, but not if too many more comes in. come in.
0: You're exhausted. You should get some rest. Oh,
1: there's, there's too much to do.
0: Look, someone else can handle it.
1: There is no one else. Most of the department didn't come in today. I'm all alone here, and I've got more bodies than I usually get in a month.
0: You're not alone, then.
1: I finished Dr. Carter. There's nothing. She killed herself. And Nick is like, ugh, so predictable.
2: Yeah, and like half of the morgue staff didn't show up. So she's Like, mostly by herself on all this. Yeah, she's by herself.
1: She can't do any of this by herself. And there's nobody there to help her. And she can't go home. And what the fuck is she supposed to do? And she's exhausted. And she's depressed because the world is falling apart. And who knows it better than the coroner because all of these bodies are suddenly rolling in. And this is just the tip of the iceberg because it's just the bodies that have been found.
2: In this area of Toronto.: In this
1: area of Toronto, and Nick is like, "Aw, you should probably go home and take a nap.":
2: <laughs> Okay, Nick.
1: Yeah she goes, "I've got more bodies than I get in a month, and I'm all alone." And he goes, "You're not alone, Nat. All right, well, I'll see you later, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're not alone. You have me."
1: Oh but For I, I, I need five to minutes. Leave. <laughs> yeah, He's like, "You're not alone." She goes, "I'm afraid, Nick." And he's like, "Yeah, we're all afraid. That's cool. We're all special in our own way now. Hi, Afraid. I'm Nick. (laughs) That's as helpful as he is in that movie. It really is. Because then immediately, apparently, he goes to the precinct because Cohen is giving a little speech to the precinct. And she's like, "Uh, only a third of the detectives came in and the uniforms are at 50% strength. And we're getting a homicide call every 10 minutes. Is this all? Well, thank you for coming through.
2: We're less than one-third strength. The uniform's are 50%. I need everybody on the street. I knew there'd be a reaction, but nothing like this. We're getting homicide calls about one every ten minutes. Suicides, assaults. Your badges don't count for much now, so watch your backs. Any questions? All right. Good luck. I, th- I thought it was interesting that... A third of the detectives came in, so two thirds of the detectives have abdicated, um, you know, abandoned their post, whatever. But half of the like beat cops have showed up to work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Hmm. Mm. So the <laughs> it's like the more skeptical you should be the more convinced you are, what that are they the do? end of the world actually is what do you coming? do
1: what do you do to all the people that didn't show up and then all of a sudden when you're like oh the world's not going to end they come in and they're all wearing like nicer watches and they've all got brand new TVs <laughs> cuz they're out rioting with all the <laughs> what do you do like what do you do how do you discipline those people right I, it's do you send them to some kind of co- like a? Co- I feel like you should have to go to some kind of critical thinking course. Like, okay, I'm going to give you a scenario. And Especially you tell me, the
2: detectives.
1: Yeah. And like, you tell me, hold on. I, think this is true. I only
2: have one piece of information from one source. I don't
1: have any corroborating evidence. Ho, ho, ho. Um,
2: Except, oh, well, she's fuck? always done good work.
1: Yeah. Oh, she hasn't lied before. Well, oh, her, okay.
2: Her numbers have always been accurate.
1: I mean, I think you can sort of hand-wavy this a little bit as like a there's a general misunderstanding of how science works. And you see this a lot when people say, oh, well, two months ago they said this and now they're saying that. They don't know what they're talking about. Instead of they do, that's the point of science. Things want, change.
2: Here's here's the best analogy I can think of to, that may have helped convince people not to trust this one piece of, evidence that this asteroid is going to hit the earth look at weather forecasts for where a hurricane is going to go yeah okay it's like a month out here's where we think the hurricane is going to go the next day oh it's a little bit closer uh the path has the predicted path has changed a week later oh yeah it's not even going to hit the u.s A week later oh it is going to hit the us right Right. because they're running like more and more refined simulations of the hurricane on like more recent data and the results change solar system is a little less complicated but and it's still it's the huge distances add so much error
1: right People don't even believe the weather forecast when it says it's going to rain.
2: Right. They walk outside and look up.
1: Yeah. You check. And yet they're like, an asteroid's going to hit us and we're all going to die. And they're like, well, yeah, that's, that checks out. That's oh. fine. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. So Nick goes to the precinct at, as they're getting one homicide every 10 fucking minutes. <laughs> I can't. I cannot stress that enough. That does not include suicides or right. accidental deaths. Right? Uh, or the people they haven't found yet. And so, <laughs> and Nick walks up to Cohen and he's like, I just need more time on the case.
2: <laughs> she's like, fine, one more day. Oh, she goes,
1: You think that's important right now? Do you really think that's what we need to, the suicide? That's a slam dunk suicide. That's what we need to focus on. And he's like, I literally think it's the most important thing in the world right now.
2: He, and, he and should have like, explained. Okay, cool. One I'm day. not investigating the suicide, I'm investigating. The observatory.
1: Well, he's like, something here does not fit. It does not feel right. I, I, I have one of my hunches. I just don't think all the pieces are fitting together right. the way it's, they should. It's
2: not the suicide. It's the world-ending news came out of this place and I'm going to keep investigating these people. It just doesn't feel
1: right. right. Why did this woman do this like this? This just doesn't sit. And Cohen is like, one more day. And that's it. That's all I can give you is one more day. And Nick's like, cool, I'll take it. One more day is fine. And this is when Skanky like comes over and he's just sitting there and he looks really dazed. And they're like, well, what's going on Skanky? And he's like, I just got a call from my cousin, Arthur. I made $5,000. That's like $15,000, 15 to $20,000 in now money. And, They're both like, oh, okay. Nick is like, okay, congratulations. And Cohen's like, fucking seriously, Skanky. That's what we're going to talk about right now. She is not even as supportive of him in this moment. (laughs) Cohen, this man is about to die. You believe. See, she's
2: consistent. (laughs) You
1: believe with your whole heart that this man is about to die. You could just go, congratulations, Skanky. Now get back back to work. But she's not. She takes a minute to just like grind in there because she's like, oh, what are you going to do with it? Uh, Because I don't know if your cousin – your cousin apparently wasn't paying attention because the currency markets have collapsed too, which means by the time this is all done, $5,000 might be enough to buy donuts for the entire department.
0: She doesn't understand. She just doesn't get it. It's not about the damn money. I know. We have got three months to live, Nick. Myra's got three months. Jenny's got – We can't think about that. I can't save them. I can't protect them. I know it doesn't make any sense. I just want to leave them something, you know? We don't know for sure how this is going to work out. All right, so we've got to stay focused on something. Let's make it the case.
2: You're right. right. What you find out about the game I hope you bring those donuts in. Yeah,
1: um... Congratulations, Skanky. And then she does like a "Mm," turn and walk away. Like, what the fuck, Cohen? What is your problem? Skanky's only ever tried to be nice to her. And in the last couple of episodes, she's been really trashy to him. That's not fair. He's there. He showed up. He's one of the third of the detectives that fucking showed up. Those people should all get a medal. Every single one of those should have your undying gratitude because two thirds were like, fuck you and just left. Two-thirds of your department was not critical thinking enough to go, hey, I'm going to wait for a corroborating source before I believe that this is actually going to happen.
2: Right. Yeah. Besides punishing the people who didn't show up, you need to reward the people who did.
1: And Skanky, you know, Skanky's still sitting there while she walks away. And Nick sits next to him and he's like, she doesn't get it. It's not about the money. Like, it's just not about the money. That's not what I was talking about. And Nick is like, yeah, man, I know. I get it. I get it. And he's like, I just, everyone's going to die. My wife's going to die. My daughter's going to die. Like, what am I supposed to do? I can't stop this. I can't protect them. I can't. And Nick is like, ho, ho, ho. We don't need a spiral on this. He's like, we got to focus on something. Let's focus on the case. What did you get about the gun? Tell me about the gun. Walk me through it. You know, get back to get back to work, and that will help you focus on what's really important. And Skanky's like, okay, well, you know, I put, a, I put some feelers out. I'm just waiting on some phone calls. And he's like, cool, you sit here, and you wait for that phone call. Can you do that for me, Skanky? And Skanky's like, yeah, yeah, man, I can do that for you. And he's like, cool, I'm going to go. And he's like, where are you going? And he doesn't, he doesn't let him finish. He's like, you know what? Never mind.
2: I'm going around.
1: <laughs> you, you just stay safe, okay? Yeah. You just stay safe. And Nick is like, thanks, man. They have like a bro hand grasp, like put mm-hmm. your manly hand in mine. And they're like, I will. Because he knows Skanky deliberately didn't wait for him to answer. He was like, you know what? I don't need to know. You just stay safe. And so Nick leaves. And luckily, Luke LaCroix is there to still be the night crawler and really just lift everyone's spirits. <laughs> because he's <laughs> clearly still, still feeling great from last episode. Or actually from um, Be My Valentine. Yeah. And he's talking about how in 1908, another asteroid hit the Earth's atmosphere, and it exploded with the force of 12 megaton bombs, and the shockwave circled the Earth twice. That's the
2: Tunguska event or something?
1: Yeah. And but this one will be like a thousand megatons and it will kick up enough dust into the atmosphere to block out the sun for 20 to 30 years and the temperature of the earth will fall below freezing and stay below freezing and by the time 20 to 30 years is up all life on earth will be extinguished
2: all surface life on
1: earth yeah all surface life not ocean life Probably. And then we get a flashback and it is Lacroix's flashback. And luckily this was the flashback because Matt and I were shop- shopping for liquor. And I was like, I don't know, is Pompeii Roman or Greek? And Matt was like, why Why would we, Why would are you asking about Pompeii? And I'm like, oh, because Lacroix is from Pompeii. And he was like, he's from Pompeii. And I was like, God damn it. Spoiler free life. <laughs> but look at that. We didn't have to wait very long. Yeah, this is Pompeii, which it's a big reveal at the end of this little flashback snippet because we just know that he's the greatest general in the empire, and he's finally returned home, and they're all admiring his bust, like the bust of him, which is actually a pretty good yeah, bust. carving yeah. yeah. And the guy he's talking to, the pro-counsel, is like, oh, I just, you know, he did a really good job. Do you think you could loan him to him? And he's like, I would, but I put out his eyes. <laughs> and he wept as he thanked me. And they're all like, oh, you're such a kidder. Oh, my gosh, LaCroix.
2: <laughs> except this is LaCroix.
1: Yeah, except LaCroix uh, is like. Lucius. Lucius, yeah. So He's yeah. like, you know, I really fucking did that. It's fine. Lucius, of course he did that. Yeah. They're like, oh, Lucius, you're so... You're such a funny guy. And he's like, yeah, I know. And I'd do it again. And they're like, tell me, tell me, did you really, did you really tell your men to rape the, like to have their all way the women with the women when you were in Gaul? And L- L- Lucius, Lucius is like, uh, of course I did. What do you think I am? A- an amateur? And they're like, oh, you're so good at this. And you all rascal. And then we meet Divya. Well, we don't quite meet her no, yet. No, we don't because Divya we meet Divya yet. Well, we do. We meet
2: Divya's mom first. We meet
1: her mom. We meet Divya adjacent, which is fucking enough for me. Because uh, I forget what his wife's name is, but she comes out, and he's like, "Oh, hello." Um, we need to. Uh, Celine, her name's Celine. He's like, "How's your uh, your daughter doing?" Yeah. <laughs> and she says, "Oh, you know, she was sick, but then an ancient healer arrived." And he spent some time alone with her. And then she rose from her bed that very night. And Lucius is like, oh, that's fucking great. I'm so glad that your daughter is so much better. And she goes to leave to circulate among the guests. And this is when he's like, "Uh, we need to spend some time together. We need to spend some time together. And she's like, well, we will later. Like after I've talked to all the guests. And then the proconsul comes over and he's like, yeah, if that girl is alive and well, um, I'll eat my fucking shorts, my toga. I'll eat my fucking toga because yeah. uh, that uh, uh-uh. he was like, she's pale. She's withdrawn. She never plays in the sun. She's weird as fuck. She's creepy. She's fucking Divya. <laughs> Lucius is like, OK, well, I mean, OK, fine, whatever. Like, I'm going to reserve judgment till I meet her. And he's like, you know what? Welcome back, General. Welcome back home. To Pompeii, and you're like, oh my god, he's from Pompeii, and then whoosh, back to the present. Yeah. And Nick is driving around. I'm not exactly sure where he's like planning to go, but he ends up hearing something. Like he hears a woman screaming, and so he's driving past cars with like their front popped open on fire. Right, there's
2: probably just there's, dying people strewn along the side of the burn road. Barrels.
1: There's like savages running, like, feral-ass groups of people running around the street, and he just gets out of his soft-top convertible in the middle of the road and flies off, just real bold that that's going to be there when he gets back, when literally the world is falling apart and nothing is safe. But he ends up saving a woman, because this vampire, who we finally learned that, we learn later, his name is Spark. But Sparky is... They call
2: me... Spark.
1: Spark. Yeah. Sparky is chasing this woman, and the lady's like, No, don't kill me with your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Nick shows up and he's like, I believe the lady said, Don't kill her with your teeth. <laughs> and Sparky's like, and, they go, and then they like <laughs> snarl fight. Yeah. They,
2: they hiss at each other. They hiss
1: at each other, and he ends up flying off and nick is like well i solved that problem i'm so good <laughs> he's definitely not going off to go do that to just another woman
2: right anywhere in <laughs> the city
1: literally anywhere else and he turns around to the woman and he's like are you okay are you cool and she's like yeah i guess i'm fine and she doesn't really answer because then we end that scene and then he goes to the raven <laughs> i love this scene because <laughs> he's going he parks up front we know that because we see the car we so went back and got his car and he takes that to the raven and the raven is hopping And he walks into the raven and this woman hugs him and he like kisses her out of reflex. I wonder if it's like someone, my grandma had dementia. If you put a basket next to her, she would fold whatever was in the basket. It was like a reflex. So a woman gets close enough and touches him and he just kisses her. Because he does, he leans down and kisses her and then he goes, do I know you? (laughs) (laughs) And then he keeps walking and he walks up to Jeanette and Jeanette's just... Hanging out at the bar. Like, I don't know. It's fucking anarchy. Party's
2: rocking. I'm
1: making money. I don't give a shit. Except the currency markets collapsed. So whatever, I guess. Because she's like, Nick, live a little. You want to come out? We we go hang out out back. You want to go hang out out back? And he's like, look, I'm here. I'm here on business. And my business is you need to stop people from you need to stop our kind from killing people. And she's like, meh. Why? she goes it's the end of savings accounts and safe sex is what she says <laughs> a little,
0: little It's the end of the savings account and safe sex. Our kind are losing control, Jeanette.
1: And he's like um. oh Jeanette. Uh I don't know. I don't I feel like it needs to be addressed within the community how little it took for them all to be like, "Well, guess we're all going on a murder spree." Mm, yeah. 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 You know how you get people to figure out that there are vampires? You have a minor crisis and all of a sudden you're having one homicide every 10 minutes, half of whom have vampire bites. Right. They are real. Real fucking lucky that Natalie knows vampires exist and she covers for them.
2: Well, do you think it's just the vampires in this, this small part of Toronto no. that are going wild? Or worldwide?
1: One would assume worldwide. And there is not a expectation of infrastructure to support that. So like in Being Human, the U.S. being human and the... British being human, vampires have infiltrated the police force with the express purpose of hiding vampire crimes. Right. But we know from everybody's reaction to Nick that they think it's real, real disdainful that he has a day job at all. especially That he that has
2: integrated into human society. At like, all. At
1: all. Yeah. So you have a situation where worldwide we are going to have a sudden... Unexplained like surge of vampire deaths, like people, vampires killing people in obvious vampire ways. And only Toronto theoretically has a coroner, coroner who's willing to hide that. Right. Isn't that interesting? Unless that's what they are talking about at the corner, like the corner commission, <laughs> <laughs> trading notes. Oh, my God, how many did you get this year? I don't know. I I feel like my population is is pretty tame. Oh, yeah, well, mine's gone fucking wild. I've been hiding vampire bodies all over the place. They're like, shh, 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 we don't say the V word. (laughs) (laughs) And Nick is like, they're killing people. Jeanette, they're out killing people. And she's like, yeah, they're all going to die anyway, so who cares? Like once the asteroid hits they're all dead so whatever. Right. right, enjoy the
2: humans while they're still alive.
1: She's like, "Why do you always care about them and you're never worried about us? What about me, Nick? What about my mild discomfort that I'm going to experience?" <laughs> <laughs> Did you even consider that? No. You only my think about food's yourself. going
2: to disappear in 3 months.
1: <laughs> She's like, "What about our slow death by starvation? You're used to denying yourself. I am not. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to suffer. I'm not be you." Do you take a minute and realize that I'm going to have to be you and how much of a sacrifice that is for me? And she says, if you truly believe that everything's going to work out, you're either like hopelessly optimistic or naive. Fair. And then she says, I can't hold back the tide and neither can you. So shit's fucked up. Shit's getting fucked upper." And Nick is off trying to get a handle on the vampire feral impulse to just murder people at a drop of the hat kind of thing. And meanwhile, Skinky is at the precinct, which, I mean, kudos to Skinky. He's got a wife and daughter. He thinks the world is ending and he's still at work.
2: Because he thinks he can make a difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, what else? Yeah, he'd rather do that and make a difference than flake off and stay at home like apparently two-thirds of the other...
2: Detectives? Detectives.
1: Detectives. <laughs> what the heck? Uh, But we find out, because Natalie comes in. And he's like, oh, did you get caught up? And she's like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, no, I, just no. Uh, I just needed a break. I just needed a break because she's wearing her smock. Her Yeah. She didn't even take off her like autopsy clothes. She just wore them straight there. Uh, nice. That's real classy. Well,
2: she's got to go right back to work. Yeah,
1: I guess. But like, anyway. And she asks Genki, you know, what's up? Where's Where's Nick? And he's like, oh, you know, I heard back about the gun. Um, And she bought it in Albany a couple months ago because they couldn't find the serial numbers in Canada. So clearly it was a U.S. gun. And he's like, yeah, she bought it in Albany. Um, You know, maybe she was already suicidal and this just pushed her over the edge. Mm -hmm. Albany's
2: in New York, by the way.
1: Oh, yeah. Love the Canadian assumption that the only reason somebody would buy a gun is because they're suicidal.
2: Specifically a handgun. Yeah. You buy a handgun because you want a human dead. Yeah, that's what a handgun is for correct Yep.
1: <laughs> and skanky's like you know how are you doing that how's it going and natalie's like yeah i've got a morgue full of bodies she literally says they're stacked up like firewood and she says you know the more i think about it the more i think hey maybe dr carter had a point like maybe she did the right thing and nick uh skanky's like are are you are you being serious right now? Like you thought about like killing don't yourself? Don't get any ideas. And she's like, "Oh no, no, I, yeah, I definitely thought about it." She's like, "Oh yeah, totally. No, I totes thought about it." And Skanky's like, "Oh, uh, okay." And she goes, "But then it occurred to me, Skanky, I don't have to die." And then she just kisses him on the lips and uh, what leaves and sk- leaves Skanky there to just be like, did she?
2: Th- now Skanky's like
1: think i was nick
2: shit
1: uh what just happened uh... <laughs> he can't i mean nobody has time to spare for natalie's shenanigans right and so everyone knows she's clearly having some sort of crisis but literally no one can spare understandably the time. yeah but nobody can spare the time to go and like be with natalie in this moment because nick has gone off to see uh one of dr carter's colleagues I think we get her name once.
2: <laughs> and then we just refer to her as, as... the
1: colleague. Yeah. yeah Who's we'll off to see the colleague? And he kind of walks in and she's talking about, like, oh man, you know, uh, this is all just terrible. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe we're all going to die by an asteroid. And Dr. Carter killed herself. And Nick is like, oh, okay, so you do this nice house. You live here alone? And she goes, yeah, well, no, technically, I have someone who lives with me. And he's like, okay, defined technically. And she says, well, I don't have a husband, but he travels like almost full time. Um, he's in real estate, you know. I don't really have any investments, other investments. I think she said just says real estate. Okay. And he's like, man, I'm, she goes, she says, I don't really have anything new. Like I'm I'm just here in my house watching TV, sipping on sipping on my wine, wearing fancy clothes. I don't really have anything. And it's like, okay, well, you know what? Thanks, thanks for your time. And then he comes back to the precinct and Skanky and Cohen are both there. And Skanky and Cohen are like, listen, we hear you, Nick, but it's time, right? We know this is a suicide. Literally, if this were if the whole world wasn't falling apart at the seams, I would have threatened you into giving this up long ago. But I can't threaten you because you could just leave and I can't afford to have you just leave. So Cohen actually says, I think it's time for you to be done with this. Does my opinion count with you? Good angle. I mean, that's a legitimate question. Am I a valid person? Do you believe my opinion is valid in this moment? And Nick is like, yeah, yeah. It does. Your opinion counts. Of course it does. Of course it does, Captain. And, you know, I'll give it up. You Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And then he turns to Skanky because Skanky's getting ready to leave. Skanky's been there all day. He's going to go home for a couple of hours, come back, and get some more work. And he tells him, hey, you know what, Skanky? Give my love to Myra and Jenny. And Skanky's really touched. He's like, yeah, I will. Thank you, man. Like, thanks for remembering. And, you know, I will. I'll tell him. And Nick having nothing else really to do in this moment. And actually because Skanky also tells him, hey, you might want to go check on Natalie. She came by earlier and she was weird. Weirder than you. I think you should probably go. So Nick goes to the morgue and Natalie, 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 who will stare straight at her buddy who she knows is a vampire, an 800 year old vampire and say, I don't believe in supernatural or I'm a scientist. I believe in the scientific process or whatever has lost her ever loving mind. She's like, I figured it out. The only way to survive this is for you to turn me into a vampire. Turn me into a vampire. Do it. Do it right now. And Nick's like, oh, my God, I just did this two episodes ago. I can't. I can't go through this again.
0: This is wrong. An eternity of darkness is not living. You know that.
1: But how can I unless I experience it myself? Am am I just supposed to take your word for it? You mean you don't? Come on. What choice do I have? huh? And he looks tempted to his credit because she's like, I'm here. I'm right here. You want me? You can have me. All this, this blood, this blood's for you. And he's like, don't, don't do that. Don't ask me to do that. And he like closes his eyes and like, oh, like I can't even look at you when you're doing this because there's probably a part of him that is immediately like, oh, hell yeah. Let's get down that right now. And he doesn't want to, because this is a permanent choice. And he, he is well aware that, I mean, first of all, we have three months. This isn't like happening tomorrow. This is th- we have a, a three months, right? We have a full season, like it, all of summer could pass before the asteroid hits. And she's asking him to do this right now. A lot can happen in three months. And that's a permanent decision. And she actually tries to convince him by being like, you know what? Maybe this was meant to happen if you think about it. Because the whole world's going to be perfectly adapted for the type of people that can live in darkness. It just makes sense. Like, vampires will be the most well-adapted creatures in this world after the asteroid hits. So, like, maybe Unless vampires... They
2: turn to vamp Shh
1: maybe vampires have been here all along just to ensure that a part of us survives the like coming apocalypse. You know, it kind of just kind of makes a whole lot of fucking sense. And Nick is like, it makes no sense because a life of eternal darkness isn't a life at all. And she's like, "Uh, that's just like your opinion, man. And he's like, "Uh, hello. I think I'm the one, I think I am the reigning subject matter expert in this room right now. Like You have made me some shakes. You've taken some blood from me. I've, I've told you a couple of amusing anecdotes and all of a sudden we're back to I will repay where you feel like you have a complete handle on what it is to be me and you really fucking don't, Natalie. And she's like, okay, fine, whatever. It's not like this rejection is the end of the world. Oh, wait. It kind of is. And then she just Storms off. And Nick, Nick, the king of not giving people personal space, like physical personal space, is the king of giving people space when he absolutely should not, like emotional space. Chase that woman and talk her down. Instead, he's like, Well, I guess she needs to work this out on her own. It was like earlier when he was like, You're not alone, Natalie. Oh, I got to go to the office. I'll see you later. I mean, come on, Nick. But then Nick decides that the best possible course of action here is not to chase Natalie down and try to save her, figure out what's going on with that. He should probably just go home, hang out at home for a few minutes. Maybe he's tired. Maybe he wants to go spend some more, like a minute on his fuck sheets, just kind of get back in the vibe, you know? But uh, little, unfortunately, Lacroix is uh at his house. Waiting. Waiting. And as soon as he walks he, in. He just
2: came in the the sky in the
1: skylight yeah because as soon as nick walks in LaCroix starts pontificating he's like i guess it's gonna take a, i'm guess i'm going to have to adapt my palate to this vinegar because he's drinking nick's cow blood
2: although how much does he have does he only have one cask at a time or do you think he keeps a a couple around
1: a couple of casks
2: the, of, the giant barrel of cow blood that he fills well, up his bottles from? I think
1: if in Killer Instinct, when they'd gone through his apartment, they'd found actual casks, like <laughs> multiple casks full of blood, I don't think we would have been able to explain our way through that with it's painting supplies. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Nick actually retorts, if you don't like what's on the menu, you can always leave. And LaCroix's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, far be it for me to question your hospitality. And Nick goes, yeah, especially when you're not fucking invited. Pretty come, much. Uh, burn. Like, I didn't ask you here. I didn't ask you to steal my dinner. Um, you walked in my house. You pulled one of my microwave dinners out of the freezer. You're you insulted it.
2: the quality of it. You,
1: you're eating it. And now now you're mad at me for you having to eat it. Nobody asked you to come in here and do any of that. You could just leave right now but then we actually get a moment of actual conversation and interaction between lacroix and nick which doesn't happen very often we get a lot of i'm your master and i know what's best and blah 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 it's usually
2: monologuing
1: yeah from both sides yeah they talk at each other a lot but we actually have like a legit conversation because uh Nick is like, why are you even here? What do you want? What's, I, like, I've had a hard day. What do you want, Lacroix? And Lacroix's like, what I always want companionship.
0: What is it you want? What I have always wanted companionship. Why me? You can best appreciate the irony of my situation. You young ones are fortunate. Most of you will eventually starve and die. I will grieve on that day for my Nicholas, my Jeanette. And what will happen to you? Ah, We ancient immortals will linger for some while after you're gone. I have been delivered from death
1: to a more permanent hell. I just want a friend. I mean, from his perspective, yeah, that's what he wants. That's what Nick is. Nick is uh, someone who can understand him completely. He just needs to get Nick enough on his side that they can vibe like he wants them to vibe. And it's just, oh, it's always just slightly out of his grasp. And he goes, you know, you can appreciate the irony that I'm here just to be with you. And he's like, uh, You young are fortunate because you'll starve and die. And us ancient immortals won't have that luxury. And he goes, I'll grieve for you on that day for my Nicholas. <laughs> oh, and for so, my Jeanette, I guess, whatever. Wh- what, whatever. <laughs> whatever.
2: But I, I like the implication that, which backs up why he survived the end of season one yeah that uh, or, he, he's or sorry the yeah, the beginning of season one. yeah, that you get to a certain age and as a vampire and something changes, you gain some abilities or your presence becomes less attached to your, I don't know physical body, whatever.
1: You're capable of surviving far more than you are yeah. when you're younger. and you don't
2: starve to death, apparently.
1: um, Yeah, not in 20 to 30 years. Yeah. I'm making that face because I can't give you more information about that right now. Okay, so, so
2: if <laughs> the entire surface is going to freeze, because oh, no. like okay. mini Ice Age. Yeah. They can consume other blood. Yes. Obviously, because Nick consumes cow blood. Yep. Deep ocean life will generally be fine for quite a while. So, would the vampires be able to move to the bottom of the ocean and eat like lobsters and stuff?
1: Can they survive the level of compression? Multiple sure,
2: sure. Uh, but can they drink like horseshoe crab blood? Or no, can they probably drink not, because that's lobster different. Lobster blood.
1: Horseshoe crab blood, specifically, is different. Right.
2: And then lobster blood is also different.
1: Yeah. I don't know. They'd probably have to go whale.
2: Well, the whales are going to die once the surface freezes.
1: Yeah, I don't know what to tell yeah, you, honey. Yeah, all the,
2: all the aquatic mammals are going to die.
1: This isn't something we solved. Can we stick to the like overarching theme of this episode?
2: I guess. Okay.
1: Um, semi-aquatic vampires aside... Uh, The whole point of LaCroix's, like... Because LaCroix is the one driving the flashback in this episode. And the point of his flashback is, he has actually lived so long, he can do nothing else now. Even if he wanted to die, there isn't really an avenue for him to do that. He can get staked, burned, starved, frozen, whatever, and uh, he's going to be perfectly fine. And... Is that a gift? Is that not a gift? Because, or is it just
2: a more permanent hell? A
1: more permanent hell, exactly. Because at this point, like the vampires will outlive mortals. So all mortals then become kind of disposable commodities. To Lacroix, vampires as young as Nicholas are just as fragile as mortals. So he is looking at outliving not only any mortal companion but also any vampire under a certain age would also feel fragile and capable of being lost and as much as he blusters and is kind of a dick to, to Nicholas he does see himself as Nick's father. He's not a very good father but that doesn't mean he doesn't see himself as his father. But at
2: least he's there.
1: And I think he is completely sincere when he goes I will grieve for you, oh yeah, like I will lose you forever, just like I lost your sister forever. remember that one? yeah, so um i'll be i I will, I will mourn for you forever, because that's what I have is forever, and then we immediately go into a flashback, and LaCroix is on his own satin fuck sheets, <laughs> clearly, he taught Jeanette everything he knows because not only does he have satin like. Sheets, he has like a satin tube pillow that he's laying on. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. And Nick and Jeanette both got you know their aesthetic from somewhere,
1: yeah. And hot damn, we got a lot of thigh, a lot of of (laughs) Nigel Bennett thigh right there. Matt was like, He's only 44 in this. Thanks, thanks, honey. Um, we do like a pan up from his feet too. It's like, hey guys, you know how we haven't seen like seen Nigel Bennett in anything but like pancake pale makeup and oversized clothes? Well, here you go. You're, you're welcome.
2: Get the whole picture. <laughs> here
1: you go, and it would really be, you know, great. But the the bucket of ice water at the end of this is motherfucking Divya, because Divya is sitting by his head, like, hello, father. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I sense you don't like divya. I don't
1: know. I don't know what you're talking about. So she he sits up like oh god what? Because kids literally do this. This is like a thing. They just <laughs> yeah. come in and they're like good morning, and you're like oh god what? What is happening? <laughs> In fact, um, our daughter came in the other day at like seven o'clock, and she was like, "You guys are still sleeping?" And like, she's uh, like, "It's yeah, seven
2: o'clock. It's time o'clock, to get out ready. of bed." She goes,
1: "I'll open the windows for you," and so she went to go walk around and open all the curtains. Is like, please do not do any of those things. <laughs> so Divi is sitting there, and he sits up like, "Oh God! Like I've got, I really tied one on last night. Like I am, I am hungover." And she's like, "Is it true? You ordered your men to rape the women?" And he's like, oh. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, it was to demoralize the enemy and reward my men. Uh, what do we? Why are we talking about this? Where's your mother? <laughs> <This is> my <laughs> favorite one. Where's your mother? She's doomed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Doomed. So. so. <laughs> the precursor to okay, earth, earthquakes yeah.
2: generates infrasound, like yeah. very low frequency sound. Could you hear it? That dogs can pick up. <laughs> okay. Can vampires hear infrasound Look, if anyone could, and it's th- thus predict earthquakes Yeah. or irup- volcano eruptions it's possible. before they happen?
1: Yeah, but if you don't know what that sound is. Oh, like you you know. You'd know.
2: It's very unsettling. You,
1: you would know? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if anyone would know, Divya would know. Divya probably made the and, volcano And erupt.
2: conclude that it would be the cause of everyone's doom. Listen,
1: to... Divya went to try to have a conversation with the volcano and ended up erupting just to, like, get her to go away. <laughs> like,
2: should... Shut
1: up. Where's your mother? Before I punch Ew. your face. <laughs> um. Yeah, this actress is actually only 13 in this. And if you look up a picture of her now, she looks exactly the same. But anyway... He's like, what? Your mom's doomed? What? I don't, what is going on? And she's like, listen, yeah, so she's doomed and she can't hang with the cool kids, but you sound pretty cool. Like, I don't know. I think I get my viciousness from you or whatever. So like, do you want to like join my club? And he's like, what? (laughs) What? And then it like you know the camera shakes and he's like whoa and then he runs <laughs> like out- <laughs>
2: like Star Trek
1: <laughs> you know and then he runs out into the courtyard and he's like you can't defeat me I'm the most powerful general in the in the entire empire even the gods fear me and then his bust falls over and um, the. The proconsul runs out. I know. The proconsul runs out, and he's like, "Oh, the, the the Vesuvius is awake. Vesuvius has exploded." And he's like, "What? Fuck no!" And then Divya comes out, and she's like, "Yeah, so this looks pretty dire, huh? <laughs> you want to die or do you want to live? Like, what is your choice? You have to choose now. We have minutes. We have minutes, Father." And he's like, "To live, Divya. To live. Like, clearly, obviously, obviously, clearly, I choose to live." And then we cut back to the present. And they're kind of making their way around Nick's apartment. So they're coming down the stairs. And we actually see his painting supplies. I mentioned the other day that we haven't seen his painting supplies in a while. But they're under his stairs. They're, you can kind of see him when they're coming down.
2: Was this the shot where we could very clearly see the screaming woman painting above his fridge? Yeah,
1: you know it's really funny? Because you were like, wow, I have never seen that screaming woman picture above his fridge before And so I mentioned to Meg that in this scene, you can see this wardrobe that we were trying to figure out where this wardrobe is. Don't even ask. This is how these things go sometimes. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you can see the wardrobe in this shot. So she went back and watched it. And she was like, what the shit is that painting over his refrigerator? So you are not the only one who did not see it. It's always been there, though. Sorry. I can't. I don't know what to tell you, at least in all of season two, because it's there in killer instinct, because I thought when they go through his refrigerator and they find blood in his refrigerator and they're like, does anybody know why this man might have blood in his refrigerator? He has a picture of a screaming woman over his refrigerator full of blood. <laughs> it, kind of feels, it kind of feels on the nose a little bit, but no, oh, am sorry, whatever. Um, and LaCroix is like, you know what? I don't know what's worse. Um, is it going to be worse to live or like just survive? Like this is going to be, of course I'm not going to die maybe, but I'm just going to be surviving because it turns out that mortals not only give us blood, they also kind of, make all the fun shit right like we're not painting anything or doing anything cool like we don't create all this culture mortals create culture and we just sort of ride the wave we
2: just consume it we consume their culture like we consume their blood
1: right and once they're gone we'll have neither their culture nor their blood and so nick goes yeah so who do you think is more powerful in the end the hunter or the hunted
0: or to be left in a living hell A form of life whose only purpose is survival and nothing more. To exist for the sake of existing. Such bitter irony. The mortals sustain us their art, their laughter, their society, their blood. Our eternal lives aren't worth much without them, are they? So who is the more powerful in the end? The hunter or the hunted? I don't know. Perhaps there is a power that's greater than both.
1: And They're
2: they're both important to each other.
1: And LaCroix goes, perhaps there is a power that is greater than both. And Nick's like, oh, okay, we're about to talk about God now. Okay, Dad, whatever. (laughs) Because LaCroix's like, what kind of God would do this? kind of god would do this and he kind of sounds like skanky and i feel like nick should point it out in that moment and be like you sounded like skanky right now and laqua would just be like <laughs> 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 what
2: <laughs> god that blasted that idea right out of Ooh, my head god,
1: you're right you're know, never so, gonna think like that how again. did i get to this place i gotta go home i gotta go i gotta go record a podcast episode that's what i need <laughs> to go do because that's immediately what he goes off to do and then we find out that martial law has been declared everywhere. Oh everywhere. All the martial law, all the places.
2: <laughs> <laughs> As we're discussing this more, I'm imagining that the the like rioting, the I don't know, societal, societal collapse, uh frenzy martial law stuff is just contained to like Ontario. <laughs> oh, <man.
1: laughs> I don't know. It's supposed <laughs> to be like, everywhere because the currency like, markets have collapsed.
2: And, like, Britain is like, who what the fuck it? cares what some What's going Toronto- on over there? Yeah, the, the <laughs> like,
1: Toronto um, Community Theater. In the- <laughs> community Observatory. Yeah, I mean, what's happening over and, there? What,
2: who cares about, like, the Community College Observatory? Uh, why are <laughs> well, they... Well, we
1: know it's happening in New York, too, because that's where the lady's husband is.
2: Yeah, maybe it's just, like, the Northeast...
1: I don't know. North America, anyway. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know (laughs) because the the reporter on television didn't even feel like it was worth telling us where all of this rioting was happening. And then we go to a nightcrawler. We go to a nightcrawler recording because I told you LaCroix was so disturbed he had to go record a podcast. And he's like, fear. Fear kills us just as well as any other disaster. And he's like, the idea that we are neither unique nor special because he says we cling to life like parasites, hoping it won't notice us and brush us off like the bugs we are.
2: (laughs) Well, I highlighted a line in a book I was reading. This lady says, uh, this thing is a snowflake. I don't mean that it's special and unique. I mean, it's part of a blizzard.
1: And on that really uplifting note, We go back to figure out what Natalie is up to. (laughs) Because Natalie has made her way to the Raven.
2: And she's having a party. She's
1: having a party. She's dancing. She's doing, like, the swim. She's doing really... I mean, she's dancing kind of like skanky dances, honestly. And Jeanette comes over and kind of cuts in on her dance. Because she sees her over there and she's like, Oh, no, she's bringing down the tone of the place. (laughs) This is not okay. And she brings Natalie over to the bar. And she's like, Okay, so this isn't the kind of place that you want to come in and act like somebody who doesn't care what happens to them. And Natalie's like, I kind of think I know that, um, but have you seen him? And she's like, seen who? And he's like, she goes, the boy. I found a very special boy, and he was about to go get me a drink. And Jeanette goes, um, I think you're a little bit drunk. And she goes, you bet your ass I am. And then she pulls a cigarette out, <laughs> lights the cigarette, and starts smoking the cigarette. And Jeanette's just like Okay well here's a drink And she tries to hand her a cup of coffee And she goes (laughs) And then she just chink like cheers the cup of coffee With a glass of wine
2: (laughs) Yeah she just like reaches over And I don't know if it's somebody else's drink or It's just there
1: Yeah. And meanwhile Nick Nick goes to the precinct because Again Nick doesn't have time to solve Natalie's shenanigans right now The world is a little bigger than Natalie And as much as you would love him to drop everything and go save her, he can't. He's focused on what he's trying to do right now, which is save the, the world.
2: Uh, s- unwrapping this contradiction that he's perceived is more important than havoc in southern Ontario.
1: I mean, he. I think he thinks it's connected. I think he thinks if he can figure out what happened to Dr. Carter, he might figure out more about what's going right, on.
2: Right, because this isn't about the suicide. Yeah. This is about this... Something is happening, and it's involved with the discovery of
1: yeah. This, uh, all this feels, collision. It all smells pretty fucking fishy to him. Yeah, and he's not willing to let it go, and so he comes back to the precinct, and the army is everywhere. There's this man. They've, with, are so they've occupied
2: the police station.
1: Right, and Cohen is sitting outside of her own office in her office chair. And he's like, what's up, Captain? And she goes, oh, yeah, they kicked me out because they thought I'd be in the way. And he's like, with your level of experience? Because we know she's been in the FBI. So clearly she has a lot of experience and she's been brushed aside. And Nick is like, well, they're going to realize pretty soon that they need you. And she's like, yeah, OK, well, whatever, Nick. And he's like, well, you know what? Why don't you go home? And once they do figure out they need you, they'll come get you and she's like you know what that sounds like a pretty great idea and then he turns around and there's a guy with his feet on his desk and he's like get your feet off my desk (laughs) and then Skanky walks up and Skanky and him both look in Cohen's office at this guy on his phone and Nick goes four stars Skanky goes three stars and then they both look at each other and go none
0: (laughs) get your feet off my desk can you believe this have you seen Natalie I have no idea where she is Four stars? Nah, three. None. There's some good news in there. I could use them.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And this is when Skanky's like, have you heard they're going to reopen the stock market? And Nick is like, why? So we can go all the way down to zero? And he's like, no, because people are making money on this. Like a lot of money. Like somebody started a rumor that you can survive by going underground. And so commodities are going through the roof because people are just buying up as much shit as they can. Right. Uh, although everybody's rioting, so maybe they're just stealing all this stuff? Well, the stuff. Well,
2: in this, the stock market is not actually connected to. like... Yeah,
1: it's betting
2: brick and mortar sales. Right. So yeah, it's yeah. all s- just speculation.
1: Right. So Nick is like, "Oh, okay, yeah, twenty to thirty years underground. That that sounds great. And what's what's going to happen when you come back up?" And Skanky's like, "I guess real estate will be cheap." Yeah. And they both look at each other like, real <gasps> estate. Oh shit. The pieces are beginning to fall into place. Click, click, click. Yep. And then Natalie apparently has um, found the vampire, Sparky, (laughs) from earlier. Spark. His name is Spark, but it's funnier if you call him Sparky. She's found Sparky, who Sparky is the most, like, um, 90s.
2: He has the most, like, 90s rough macho No, he's the most, like,
1: I'm 90s hot person I've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life. You just look at him and you're like, wow, I bet he was... Yeah, but he was real hot in the '90s. But at this point, you're like Natalie. You're gonna do a little bit better, but that's okay because Jeanette immediately steps in and pulls rank. She's like, "This one, fucking off limits," and she does like a <laughs> thing like, "You don't want to be on my bad side. That would not play out well for you." And then young Nick, pup. Then Nick and Skanky are at the observatory and they're just like click, 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 click. <laughs> and then... So somehow. Goes, Beep, boop. And somehow Nick, Nick goes, yes, yes, this the, is it. The
2: two of them <laughs> have like computer forensics experience.
1: Skanky, who we know couldn't figure out how to print from his computer. He
2: was F9ing instead of F10ing. <laughs> he,
1: he found this hidden program that was connected to the modem. That was feeding information to the her husband at the New York Stock Exchange.
2: Totally believable.
1: I mean, yeah. Well, I don't know why now, you would. Why now would you, you bring in
2: like Hacker Man and say, "Hey, we think there's something suspicious with this computer. Can see Can you see if there's any like ongoing connections yeah. to other systems?" And he could pull. Mm, oh yeah, there's this like connection here that this program is running that's connected to like this address and it's probably in like new york or something
1: yeah i have a feeling it's supposed to be that this woman is not great at hiding her tracks it's just she was expecting nobody to look right i mean how did they think this was going to play out what was the end game here
2: oh here's i i was thinking about that okay like what was their plan Obviously they had premeditated this thing with the asteroid collision. What were they going to do with it? So I was thinking that they were probably they they like falsified the data. Yeah. So that it would look like the asteroid was going to hit Earth and then she was going to leak it like To a limited set of people, which would have a cascade effect and affect the markets, kind of have a short term effect until like some other scientific groups responded and was like, no, like that's not accurate, and things would stabilize. She probably didn't imagine the lady was going to kill herself, yeah, which just threw all of the the information control out of her hands.
1: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It feels like such a Hail Mary. Right? Because, I mean, I guess it was like, let's try this. And if it works, you know, whether well, there might be a moderate amount of panic and we can take advantage of it. And if it doesn't work and nobody believes us, then no harm, no foul. So let's just give it a shot. But maybe Dr. Carter killing herself pushes it far over the edge of, like, people immediately believed it because this scientist was so, so, so committed to her data.
2: Yeah, she was so convinced by her data Yeah, that, that she, she killed herself.
1: Yeah, she just immediately checked out. It was like, okay, this is a slam dunk. I'm out of here. And that might have been too much of a push because it's clear that the colleague, the curly-haired colleague, um... Is upset by what's happening because she's watching the news and crying because thousands and thousands of people are dying because she lied. Yeah. A little bit like the guy that falsified that report about how um, vaccinations cause autism. Right. <laughs> Look that up. So we go back to the Raven because Natalie is out going out the back door to have a cigarette. And the young vampire, Sparky, shows up. And he's like, you look lost. And Natalie goes, I guess I am. <laughs> and then they have.
2: She's trying to play like. She's trying sultry, so hard.
1: We're kind of flip, flip, flipping. Seductress. Between like Nick and Nick and Skanky and then Natalie's slowly unraveling psyche and personal safety. Because she's like, listen, I know exactly what you are. And you, you see this? You have this. If you bring me across, and then we whoop back to Nick and Skanky, and they're at the colleague's house, and they knock on the door, and she opens the door, and she's all fancy, and she's like, "What well, would you need? Something?" And they're like, "Yeah, here you go." And he holds up the he what is commonly referred to as a search warrant, which is what they tell her, yeah. and so then they just walk into her house, and we whoop back to the Raven, and Jeanette is leaning against the bar, watching everybody party with her like cool cool bartender friend with her cool little crop top on and
2: yeah what happened to me close i don't know
1: uh me this this lady is like um where's your friend and jeanette goes oh she's laying in the back and then she pauses for a minute and she goes oh, she's not my friend like oh, <laughs> <gross>. <laughs> and then we go back to natalie who is in the in the alleyway outside of the raven and this guy's about to you know, they're about to have a alleyway quickie, and she's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> This is going a little fast. Maybe not here. Maybe we can do some romance. You could light some candles. You could sneak in from my balcony. I've got a purple members-only jacket you could put on and a blonde <laughs> wig. Maybe we can work this
2: out. We'll keep the lights real <laughs> we'll dim. We'll keep
1: the lights real dim. And when you kiss me, I need you to stop trying to just hit my lips. I need the, the strike zone to be the entire lower, lower half of my face. Do you think you could handle that? And he's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And she's actually like, you know what? Maybe... Maybe not right now. Like, I don't know if I want this right now, but uh, this isn't no forever. This is no for now. And he's like, oh, no, no is no. I There is no no. I, I hypnotize you. You take me to your apartment. We do this now. And she's like, okay.
2: Heartbeat. Boom, boom,
1: boom. Right. Which we know she's a resistor. And we know as soon as she gets to her apartment that she was never under his spell. So why does she let it get all the way to her apartment?
2: I don't know. Uh. Sh- She was probably keeping an eye out for an opportunity to hit him with something, and maybe there just wasn't anything until she got into her apartment.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But the colleague is prepped to celebrate. She's got champagne getting chilled. Oh,
2: I know why. It's because they have a dedicated set for her apartment.
1: Mm. Yeah. Because she could have just walked down the alley, and then when she got to the end of the alley screamed for somebody to get Jeanette I don't know you know what she's not in a good headspace right now let's let's just give Natalie all the benefit of the doubt because she's, yeah. she's having a real this was a crisis of faith for her in a lot of ways because it was her first like oh shit maybe I want to be like Nick I don't want to cure Nick but I want to be like him because I'm going to die and he's not going to die and that was a lot for her to, her to wrap her mind around. Yeah. But we go back to the colleague's house because she's all prepped to celebrate. She's got champagne on ice. And this is the most like skanky and Nick. Like, ooh, we've, we've figured this out. Let's talk through this in front of the, in front of the you know, the bad guy. Because <laughs> Nick is like, you know what I've thought? I figured out that words and how you say things are real important. Because you said your husband was on the road because they're like, oh, are you, are you getting ready to celebrate? And she's like, yeah, you know, might as well not waste it. My husband's on his way home. He's been in New York. And Nick is like, you said he was on the road, and now you're saying he's in New York. That's an important yeah, distinction. five days a week. Yeah. Because he's actually in New York five days a week on the New York Stock Exchange. And that sounds kind of uh, suspicious. And she goes, that doesn't prove anything. That doesn't prove your point. And he's like, yeah, you said it didn't prove my point as if there was a point to prove. Was I trying to prove something by saying that he was in New York? What would I be trying to prove? Oh, maybe that he's been in New York scooping up low value currency and stock and real estate. And that when it all comes out that this was a hoax and everything recovers immediately because that's what we're expecting it to do. Um, he'll stand to make millions of dollars like that. And, and, this is, the,
2: and the connection from New York to her office computer.
1: Right. But this is really funny because twice they used the line, that was a question. And so first... Skanky asks a question, and she doesn't immediately answer it. And so Nick goes, that was a question, Miss Ellis. And then Nick says the thing about, uh, I think he's been on the New York Stock Exchange buying low-value stuff so that you'll make a boatload of money. And Skanky goes, that was a question, Miss Ellis. <laughs> so they have a very, like, pra- like a smooth yeah. back and forth here, which I think is really sweet anytime we have a moment where you can tell they work together and work together well i love it and here's this like tiny little they're great partners and then we cut to skanky is standing outside on the phone talking to jpl because jpl already knew that it was a hoax and they were just getting ready to tell everybody and skanky's like yeah you know what i always knew this was fishy I was on to this from the beginning. And Nick just gives him a look like, of course you were, Skanky. Of course you were. And so he's like, you know, we're going to wait till the husband comes in so we can bring them both in at the same time. And you've put a lot of work into this, Nick. So you go home like I've got this. I'll hang out with her until this guy gets here. And, you know, we'll wrap this up. Congratulations. We're not going to die. And so Jeanette calls Nick on his cell phone as soon as Skanky walks off frame. And she's like, listen, um, your friend Natalie was here earlier and she was acting kind of hinky. And then she dipped because I went to go make sure she was still laying down and she was not there. And she was hanging out with this new one. I think his name was like um, Spark- Sparky, Spark, Sparky, something like that. And then we cut to Natalie at her apartment because the overall crisis may have been averted. But Natalie is still in crisis. Yeah. So she walks in through the door and she picks up this plinth. <laughs> thing that I think was specifically there to wallop people on the head should they attempt to follow her Yeah, I and mean,
2: she has plans established. Yeah. She has defense systems in place.
1: Okay. Because she whacks him over the head, then she just runs in her room and locks the door, and she's like, whew, done and dusted. Natalie, you know a vampire. You are fully aware of what they are capable of, and you think that door is going to stop him? You have your him? back
2: to a wall of windows.
1: Yeah. Nick doesn't even need a window. He can just appear in a room. It doesn't matter.
2: As does this guy. As does this guy. Because both windows are closed.
1: Right. We know they're closed because Nick breaks both.
2: <laughs> <laughs> with the guy. <laughs> with the
1: guy. First with himself and then the other one with the guy. Yeah. Because Nick is flying as fast as he can to get to Natalie's apartment because he's like, okay, I'm going to start at her apartment and then I'll work back. And then you have your friends look around the club. You look at the club. I'll look at the apartment. Then we'll figure out. A, the line between A and B. And luckily she's at her apartment because that's where he goes first. And so he's flying and he actually yells at Spark while he's flying because Spark is, um, he's got Natalie and he's got her on the bed and he's like, don't worry, I'll be gentle. Natalie almost gets raped. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what this is. She was in. <sighs> She thought she knew what she was asking for, and as soon as she realized it was more than she was willing to give, she told him no, and he didn't hear no, and he didn't believe no, and he forced himself on her anyway, which is the very definition of sexual assault. Yes. And that's what is happening right now, and Nick comes to her rescue, and he actually yells at him before he even gets in the apartment, and he's like, get your hands off her spark, and then he crashes through the window, and then we have like a spark Nick showdown where we like kiss at each other and throw each other around and Ed, this is a serious moment because the thing that happened to Natalie is very serious but can we pause a moment to appreciate the sheer amount of destruction that Nick manages to rain <laughs> upon her apartment?
2: Her, her poor bedroom
1: this, isn't there a skit where like they throw this they throw the guy through the window and then like they walk out another plate glass and he throws him through that too. That's what this feels like because he throws him through the one window. And then he ends up throwing her. I think
2: that there's uh, in RoboCop, there's (laughs) there's a big fight scene where they're in this room. It's like a big, like open concept office, and then there's all these little um, kind of office like mini conference rooms that all have like. Two half glass walls to make a corner. And he throws him. And he throws him through like three three or four of these (laughs) glass office walls. Yes,
1: that's exactly what it feels like. And then he puts him through her closet doors, and then Nick gets thrown into her bookshelf, and we just yeah we just rain destruction upon this poor woman's room. And then I mean it's all in good for a good cause because in the end he stakes Spark. He does like a. And then Steak Spark, and of course, Spark is dead. Congratulations. He doesn't disappear like Richard, so I guess that's out the window. We don't do that anymore, but (laughs) whatever. It's fine. And so he ends up going over and comforting Natalie, and it's really interesting. This whole scene, I think, is fascinating because Nick actually doesn't vamp out in front of Natalie very often.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, The first Only the Lonely is the only other time, really, where he is like vampire in front of her all the other times he really is nick he just he keeps his game face on when she's around which there was, was
2: the time where he was vampire behind her yeah like
1: yeah well she doesn't remember that so that doesn't yeah count. she, she and wasn't he uh, did, conscious he did the fang flash he did the you know at the end of the fix to be like see i'm still a vampire but his eyes weren't changed right so she doesn't get to see bull on all danger not human. mode. Nick. Yeah, I'm on danger mode Nick, exactly. Yes. <laughs> she doesn't get to see full danger mode very danger often. Danger is
2: my middle name. <laughs>
1: and to see that in this moment when she's already in kind of a really fragile space is probably very traumatizing. And I think that's why Nick feels uncomfortable staying around her in a way that reminds her of what he is because as we find out he stays with her for a little while but then when the sun gets ready to come up he leaves.
2: And right before he leaves, he said, don't worry, Natalie. You're not alone. You're not
1: alone. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs> but we go back to the precinct, and Skanky's bought everybody donuts, just like Cohen said he would. She was like, oh, you'll have just enough money uh-huh. to buy us all donuts. Because uh, the Canadian dollars crashed. They're, this is the last food that they have. <laughs> like, the, a week has passed, and everyone was like, well, that sucked. They swept up the broken glass, and they went back about their business.
2: No lasting damage. No
1: lasting damage. Congratulations. <laughs> and there's balloons and Cohen has flowers and, you know, hey, we got it. We, we did. We figured it out. And then Natalie comes in and Natalie looks rough. Poor Natalie. Okay. Look at all of the shit that has happened to Natalie. She tries to get into a serious relationship with somebody. She almost gets sexually assaulted and killed. And then she tries to get in a serious relationship with Nick and she almost gets killed. (laughs) one might argue sexually assaulted and killed because if she'd been turned against her will, I mean, this, this gets into a deeper discussion about the fact that a lot of what the vampire does can be interpreted as like sexual assault. We're not going to get into that right now because this is a light, fun podcast and maybe we'll cover that another time. But um, that happened to her again, and then two episodes later, she gets into the situation again. And at no point is she asking for this. She is a target of these things. She is not requesting this type of attention. It's just unfortunately well, continues I'd say to the, fall. The third
2: on her. one, she's trying to initiate a one night stand. Yeah,
1: but and then, then
2: she tries to back out. Yeah, but it's like each time she's trying to initiate a romantic or at least intimate relationship with somebody she's ending up getting hurt
1: right it's unfortunate and poor natalie because she's like i kind of thought you would stay and he goes you know what i stayed as long as i could and she's like you could have drawn the curtains and just stayed the day with me and he's like nah
2: somebody broke the windows (laughs) You should should have somebody look at that, Natalie. You
1: might want to have somebody look at that. While I was in your apartment, I noticed the windows were broken and your closet was broken and shit. I don't know who did that, but that's really weird. You should probably get that fixed.
2: (laughs) I think there was a dent on your wall, I noticed, when I was getting thrown against your wall.
1: (laughs) That's some low-quality drywall. You might want to consider moving.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The studs are not solid. (laughs)
1: My shoulders are approximately 16 or my shoulders are approximately 24 inches. I got hit into that wall and that was not 16 on center. There's no way. It's like, I've been thrown into walls before and I did not go that deep. So I think you should probably ask your, ask your superintendent about it. Poor, Poor Natalie. Cause she's like, I just wanted you to stay. Like I wanted to feel safe and you're my safe. Like you made me feel safe and you left. And he's like, I didn't think that was, I didn't think I did. I didn't think I made you feel safe.
2: Communication.
1: I didn't didn't ask you what you wanted. I didn't wake you up and say, hey, the sun's coming up. Do you want me to draw the curtains and stay? I just assumed I knew what you wanted, which is the definition of a healthy relationship. (laughs) So, you know, it's fine. It's fine. And she is like, I'm not fine. That I need to go back to work because my entire morgue was full of bodies that were not in the refrigerator, <laughs> and they have and now been sitting there for over twenty-four hours.
2: And there's going to be more bodies coming in over the next week. Yeah, just
1: as we as find they people. clean up the mess. Yeah, and I got to fire half my staff because they ditched me, and or I at don't least know what reprimand I'm, them. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like it's ugh, ugh. And the only possible option at this moment, is to listen to LaCroix's podcast. (sighs) Because we go back to the Nightcrawler. And he's like, you know, life is the enemy you can't defeat. You just, you cling to it for dear life. And what does it get you? Just Pain. And suffering. And then we get kind of the wrap up of the flashback, which is him standing with Divya after she's turned him into a vampire. And he's like, so we're truly eternal now? Like, we're truly immortal? And she's like, yep, you've got all the time in the world. And he holds up her little cameo and he's like, you were right. Damn you, Divya.
2: <laughs> Does he say that on the radio? Yeah, sure. Why okay.
1: Why not? You know he's the weird podcaster that everybody's just like, somebody somewhere has a chart of all the names he's mentioned to try to figure out who he is. Because he doesn't give his name. He's the Nightcrawler. Right. Hmm. Mm. But that was our first introduction to Divya, where she's going to come back. Oh, good. She's not going to come back for a while, but she's going to come back. So I hope you like Divya, because she's like a fucking bad penny. <laughs> She doesn't get any better either. <laughs> <laughs> She's just this weird, contri... I don't know. I don't know. I I. can't. I can't. I can't. Because there's no way I can talk about it without talking about everything that happens in season three, and I don't want to spoil season three for you. Okay. Any more than it's already been spoiled. Thank you, Meg. Um. So, <laughs> mostly vampire dog, which I, we- <laughs> 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 we're... We're not there, but we have got to put together a Vampire Dog 5K for, like, MS research because the fact that the way they treat that poor woman and her chronic illness in that episode is so tragic. (laughs) And there's only so much 90s you can swallow sometimes, and then you're just like, I have to do something to cleanse the taint from my soul from having absorbed (laughs) that episode. Okay. So, we'll get there, but... Yeah, we're closing in. We've got one more episode in the in season two, and then we'll be on to season three. And we're gonna have a live watch along of our season three episode one, um, Black Buddha, and that's gonna be the night of October nineteenth, which for us is Eastern Standard Time nine o'clock. And if you wanna watch it with us, watch it and listen to us watch it as we watch it live. Um, that's a Patreon five dollar and up tier perk. If you want a pre-recorded version, that will be available for $1 Patreons, or I will probably be making the whole audio file purchasable. So you can go on and for a dollar purchase the watch-along audio from our Patreon website. Because Patreon now offers, like, one-off digital purchases. Okay. So you don't have to join. You can just buy the thing. Right. And I was thinking of putting our theme song on there, too. Okay. Because then people if you wanted that for a ringtone, a shrewd ringtone. Uh and I, I don't know, just just a way to kind of you know, we we do this for fun and we mostly do it for free, but it would be really nice if we could cover our hosting costs at right. least. Right. We're um, we're
2: spending more on the podcast than we receive on the podcast, which is fine which because is, it's a hobby. Yeah, we, it consumes resources. I
1: wanna do this because I like doing, doing, this. doing this, because I think that forever night gets does not get the love it deserves. And the fact that there's 150 Buffy podcasts and we're the currently the only in production forever night podcast that I can find is just a shame because everyone who loves it, loves it deeply for a very good reason. And we're getting ready to watch our very last first episode because season three is the final season. So we are in the last third of the Come In 81 Kilo podcast. And if you want to say thank you, you can come and buy our one-off, uh, pre-recorded. You what you do is just put it on while you're watching the episode, and we will kind of watch it together, except not live. If that makes sense. Yeah, we've done that a couple other times with movies where we just tell you when we're hitting play. We'll give you a couple of like highlights of okay, now the intro started, so that we all know we're on the same page, and then we just watch the episode together. And that will be October 19th, 2023. So if you're watching this late, sorry. Listening to this late, sorry. Well,
2: you can still go to Patreon and get the audio.
1: Pre-recorded audio for the win. So, yeah, we'll just leave it there for now. Um, I do make announcements like this on our Patreon website. Um, You can join and follow us on Patreon without paying. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram, Instagram. That's at Strange and Beautiful Network. And you can find links to all of this stuff on our website, which is strangeandbeautiful.club. So I guess until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.
0: Life will always find a way to cheat death. Life is the enemy we cannot defeat, only cling to like parasites on the living flesh of the universe, hoping that we're not noticed and brushed away with a flick of the hand. And we're truly eternal.
1: Yes. Father.
0: You were right, Divya. Damn you for it.